finishing up today about how we can share our stories with people so that they can come to know the blessing and the goodness of God. And you know, the reality is, um, and it's a very real reality, that we struggle to know how to step into that dynamic. Anybody here, you don't have to put up your hand, who finds this really easy to do? You know, the reality is I think a lot of us kind of go, I know it's something that it is good to do. I know God calls me to do it. I mean, we've talked about that out of Luke chapter 10 for two Sundays uh, prior to Aaron's sermon last week. Um, and I know people really need to hear about Jesus and what it means to live in the kingdom of God. But it is, there's just stuff in us that just struggles to get from here to there. Um, and I want to talk this morning about one more point that just emerges out of Luke chapter 10 that's going to help us to do that. Uh, the reality is, let me, let me just recap a little bit. Jesus has, has commissioned us, and he has said, go. I love that word. It's all over the New Testament. Jesus just keeps saying, go, 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 go. Gather together, be built up in faith, understand who he is, but then go into the world. And he said to his people, go, and, and he said, heal the sick and, and tell people about the kingdom of God. And he said to these people that they were to be able to go in his name and by his power and to do remarkable things as a result so that other people might find faith in him, so that other people might come to understand what the kingdom of God was and enter into it. My friends, I don't know whether you're there yet uh, in terms of doing that, my sense is that we as a church need to take some steps to enter into that fully. But my hope is that you're, you have a growing desire within you to do that very thing. And as we talk about how uh, in, in these sermons, as we think about what it means to share our story, that God will begin to work in a new way in us. That in time, it's part of our vision, that we will be a people which is constantly introducing people to Jesus. That starts our vision statement, right? Our mission statement, sorry. We're here, we exist to introduce people to Jesus. My hope and my prayer is that you'll figure out how to do that, not only in this series, but in some other series which will come. What we're going to do today is look again, look again at Luke chapter 10. And there's something in this text that is, it's subtle, but it is profound in terms of how we can step into this reality. Um, and it comes to us as we study again these 72 people that Jesus just sent out. And as he told them to go, he told them what to do and how to do it, but there's something that they needed to do in order to be effective, and that was that they had to fully identify themselves with Jesus. Fully identify themselves with him. You see, Jesus, Jesus was at the heart of this message. The Lord said to go and, 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 and to heal, but also to tell people about the kingdom. Well, if you're going to tell people about the kingdom, you have to tell people about the king. You have to tell people that it is Jesus, this one who is the king of kings, who brought the kingdom into the world and set up this new reality. You have to tell people about what Jesus said in terms of how we're to live in the kingdom, right? What it's supposed to look like. See, he's the one who exercised the power of God to bring the kingdom reality in the lives of these 72 folks. And it was this reality that they, they went and shared with others, anyone who was willing to listen. You see, the signs of the kingdom came in power as people were healed and as people came to faith. 
My friends, if we are going to be the people who take the reality of the kingdom of God and who offer people a relationship with Jesus, we have got, like these folks, to become people who very literally go in his name, exercise his power, and share his reality with them. I want to read verse 17. We've read this passage a couple of Sundays now, so I'm not going to read it in length. But you know, after these 72 went out and they returned, it says this, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us, note the last three words, in your name. They were so identified with Jesus, they acted and prayed in the name of Jesus, so much so that demons submitted to these 72 people. And I want you to hear and understand the reality that is weaved into this text, that we can be those 72 We can be the people who so identify with Jesus, so pray in his name, and so exercise his authority, so identify ourselves with him, so that demons flee from the lives of others, so that evil is overcome in the lives of people. Now, I hope you're beginning to see yourself in that reality, in that possible reality, that yes, I too can exercise faith as these people did, so that other people break free from the kingdom of darkness, and enter into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. Now, um, the reality is that this is is something that uh, um, we don't easily do in our world, right? We've seen that here today in our drama. Um, I've seen, uh, you know, lots of attempts for people to identify themselves with Jesus, some of them really good and some of them really bad. I'm going to start with some questionable ones and move in a more positive way for a few minutes. Number one, bumper stickers. Christian bumper stickers, to be specific. Uh, we're going to show you some of them. The, 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 you know, have you ever seen the bumper sticker that says, Honk if you love Jesus? Yeah, I have. And I just kind of imagine myself with this. <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> I'm to uh, focus on the honking part, I suppose. But you know, the reality, I can just imagine having this on my bumper and having all kinds of people honking at me and I have no idea why, right? Honk if you love Jesus. There's, there's another one that says, do you follow Jesus this close? You know? <laughs> uh, I love Jesus, but I speed. You know, that's uh, probably very true of me. And I bet Jesus would have uh, used his turn signals. <laughs> and there are lots and lots more. Google it and you'll find them. Now, I would kind of consider the bumper sticker identification a bit questionable. But you know what? At least those people are identifying with Jesus. It may not be the best way in the world, but they're doing it, right? There's another symbol that you'll often see, and it's the, it's the ichthus. You know the fish symbol? Uh, and it's called ichthus because um, what it w- is often written in it is, is um, that word ichthus, and, and it's the first letter of each word in ancient Greek which says Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But, you know, when it was first used by Christians in the first century, they wouldn't do anything other than draw a little fish in the ground or wherever they might be so that they would identify themselves, quite frankly, in that instance to other Christians because to do so otherwise, would, you know, you'd end up in jail because Christianity was illegal. But sometimes people will wear this little fish, this ichthus on their, on their lapel or they put that on their car too. That's not a bad way to do it, I suppose. Uh, it's one way to do it. 
remember when I was a student uh, some years ago now when I was interning in a church and a minister um, uh, who was working in the church uh, came and said, I've just had an interesting experience. And she said, I, just, I was on the bus today and I was wearing my clerical collar. Anybody remember what those are? You know, white collars that ministers sometimes still wear. I've never owned one, but that's beside the point. And, um, and she said, I had to, people on the bus look at me in such a strange way. And she said, but in the end, I realized at least the recognizing the church is still in existence. It's still out there. It's still part of our society. And I thought, oh my goodness, has it come to that, that the only way the church is identified in this world and people know that we're there is because somebody wears a symbol that nobody truly understands? I think maybe that's not such a great way. One other way I can show you visibly is, is, a, is a picture of uh, a young guy in our church, Keegan Williams, who has tattooed onto his arms Alpha and Omega, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. Jesus said, Revelation chapter 1, we talked about it a while, a while ago, I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, the beginning and the end, the eternal one. And Keegan does that so that he can start conversations. People will say these symbols on his arms, uh, and they're permanent, right? <laughs> and they'll say, what is that? And then guess what Keegan does? Well... It's the Alpha and the Omega. It's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. Jesus said, I'm the Alpha. And all of a sudden, he's talking about Jesus. He's identifying himself with the Lord. Remember Rick Mose, our now previous ex uh, executive pastor, he tattooed uh, Jeremiah 29:33, I think, in his arm. It speaks about the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Same thing. It, it, it allows him to identify with Jesus. I'm not suggesting you all go get tattoos. But my question to you today, my friends, is how do we identify with Christ? How do we communicate the reality of who we are to this world who so desperately needs to know him? Let me tell you, if I could, before I jump into some more detail, what we don't necessarily want to communicate. I wouldn't encourage you to communicate the fact that you go to church. Oh, I'm a churchgoer. That's not what people need to hear. They need to know that you know and love Jesus, not that you go to church. Um, it's not necessarily that you might say, well, I believe in God. Because guess what? A lot of people believe in God. And they define it in whatever way they choose. No, people need to know that you know and love Jesus. It's not necessarily that, oh, I live a good life. Because a lot of people live a good life who aren't Jesus followers. Good moral life. You see, my friends, what's important is that we find a way to say to people in our world, I am connected to, I am deeply associated with this one named Jesus. And I would encourage you to talk in those terms. Use his name. Um, I believe in him. I'm following him. He is my Lord. I would encourage you even not to use the word now Christian. And I regret that. Because it's such a biblical and such a good word, but there are so many negative connotations now about the word Christian, all of the abuses that have happened in our society, in the church, and by Christian people, that all of a sudden that's a negative word. No, talk about the fact that you're a Christ follower or a Jesus follower. It's the reality without the baggage. But here's, here is the reality, and it's kind of hinted at and, 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 and described somewhat in, in our uh, drama. It is hard for us to do this, and quite frankly, there are many Christ followers today who don't identify with him in this world of ours. Um, in essence, they want to keep that reality to themselves. 
the reality is, and I don't know if it's you, but it's a reality for many people in this world today who do follow Jesus. They literally hide the fact that they are his from anyone they might know. I thought of an analogy, and I, I will admit this isn't a good analogy uh, because of just the dynamic of it, but the best analogy I can think of is that for so, so long, gay people had to be in the closet versus out of the closet. You know, those terms that have become familiar to us in our culture. And they would keep their sexual orientation a secret. They would hide that part of their lives from people because they were afraid of judgment and condemnation, sometimes particularly from the church. And they would hide that reality and, 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 and they would do so in fear. Even sometimes fear of physical harm. Well, in recent years, as you know, and they're not that many, but the reality has come that people who have that orientation sexually are now out of the closet and are much more freely doing so and they don't fear the judgment that they once did. And quite frankly, that's not a bad thing that people don't have to live in fear and judgment, fear of judgment. But my friends, here's the, here's the analogy. Here's the parallel reality. Now it is we who are Jesus' followers who are in the closet. We are the ones who are hiding who we are because we are afraid of judgment. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid that people would look at us and mock us and scorn us and um, turn away from us. Um... But my friends, I want to tell you this. If we don't openly and fully identify ourselves with Jesus, we will never be part of being able to participate in leading those people into his kingdom, leading them into a relationship with him. So I want to start off by asking the question today, and I don't do it with judgment, <laughs> but just consider in your own life, realistically, honestly, do the people in you, your life who aren't believers, know that you are a believer? Or do you hide that part of your life from them? It's a beginning spot. It's a critical reality that somehow we move, if indeed we're there beyond that, into something new and into something different. Second point I want to bring to you today, the question is how do we identify ourselves with him? You know, with bumper stickers and ecthuses and tattoos, that's okay. I'm, I'm not going to condemn that. I mean, as I say, at least those folks are doing something to as associate themselves with Christ. But I want us to look at this passage. And I want us to remember some of the things that we've studied in recent weeks. I'm not going to go into depth with them. But I want you to notice the sequence which we are um, called to by Jesus himself. First of all, he says to his 72 followers, start by going into the world and offering peace to people. Offering them shalom. Go into their lives to bless people. To, to somehow... Offer them something good in their lives, so much so that they're attracted to you and they're willing to welcome you and your faith into their experience. You know, I was up in the Muskokas a couple of weeks ago and I was driving on a road that I've often driven to, uh, dr driven on um, very many, many, many times. And there's a sign that's uh, just off the road on someone's property that I've read many times. It's interesting to me that it's still there 25 years later, 30 years later from when I was there often. Um, in the job that I had, it's being maintained and it says this, prepare to meet thy God. 
And I drove past that sign, and again I thought, what do people think when they read that? Prepare to meet thy God. Well, I think one of the questions that people would have is, why do they use the word they, uh, thy? And what does that even mean, right? It's the old translation of the Bible, of course. But if anything, what people might take away from that, if they take anything at all in terms of understanding, is the fact that someday they're going to stand in the presence of God and be judged by him. Now, let me tell you this. I believe that to be fully true. But I don't think it's a very good way to bring Jesus to the world, to take him into the world. You see, what the Lord says to us is, go into people's lives and don't offend them and don't be obnoxious and don't drive them away. Go into people's lives by first bringing them blessing. Shalom. And as a result, what Jesus says is people will welcome you into their homes and they will give you a meal. And as we've discussed what that essentially means, they will welcome you into their lives. They will welcome you into their relational world. Here's a question that I've processed a little bit myself. If we were to be such people, if we would endeavor and desire to be such people, the question we have got to ask ourselves is why would other people welcome us into their home? Why would anyone welcome you into their home? It's not because you're offensive and obnoxious, believe me. It's not because you're willing to judge them first. It's because you're willing to go into their lives somehow initially and bring blessing to them. And show them the goodness and the love and the grace and the mercy of the living God. See, my friends, our first contact is not prepared to meet thy God. I don't think. (laughs) Our first contact is not about the moral issues of the day and an argument that might pursue. It's not about the sin that might exist in the lives of the people we're trying to serve. It is about how can we go into their lives and bless them so that they say, I welcome you into my life. We show them the goodness of God the love of God. And then what the text says is, and again, we studied this, we're going to read it again, that we can take the kingdom of God into their experience in two ways. Let me read Luke chapter 10, verse 8 for you. When you enter a town, Jesus speaking, and you are welcomed, as opposed to rejected, when you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. See, the reality, my friends, is Jesus then goes on to say that we, what we have to do is to heal the sick and to tell people the kingdom of God has come near. Heal the sick and to tell people the kingdom of God has come near. Number one, heal the sick. What we have to do is to pray in the name and in the power of Jesus. We are to exercise his power and his authority so that the lives of those people is, here it is again, blessed. You know? We have to, first and foremost, pray for these people so that God exercises his power in their lives so that they are blessed. And as we do so, they will begin to see God work in their experience in the blessing of healing, physically, emotionally, or or mentally. They will begin to see God comfort them when they need it the most. They will begin to see God give them provision when they need provision. They will see God come alive in their experience in any way that he chooses in which they need So as we bring the power and reality of Christ and his blessing into their lives, the second thing then, very simply, is that we have to tell people that the kingdom of God has come near. Tell them. Tell them what it's like to live in the kingdom. 
Tell them what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. Tell them what it's like to live in relationship with Christ. It is a matter of, rather than hiding this part of our lives, sharing our lives openly about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now this happens as trust is built and as people are really willing to hear more and more and more about who we are. But essentially, it's stories about what God has done for me. You know, I've thought about Luke chapter 10 again, and I've thought of these people, these 72 who went out. What had they experienced of the kingdom of God? And then, what did they tell people about the reality of the kingdom of God? Well, it doesn't say, does it? It just says that Jesus said to them, go and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. (laughs) But... But when you think about it, if you look at chapter 7 and chapter 8 in Luke, and we've referenced this again previously, what these people had encountered, and this is just a snapshot of what they had lived with Jesus as they experienced the kingdom unfold itself in this world, they saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with a small lunch. They saw the power of God exercise. They saw a miracle take place. And they saw Jesus blessing people with food. They saw a little boy who had an evil spirit within him, and that evil spirit was cast out of him. They saw a little girl raised from the dead. They saw the centurion's servant healed. And I could go on and on and on. You see, here they had seen Jesus act. They had seen the reality of the kingdom of God. They had experienced it. And I think chances are pretty good. I can't say it unequivocally. I can't say it authoritatively. But my assumption is that these people simply told other people of what they had seen Jesus do. They probably told them of what Jesus had taught, this incredible, remarkable teacher. They had already heard the Beatitudes. They had heard about what it means for a Jesus follower to live in the kingdom and what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live in relationship with one another and with God. They had seen Jesus battle the religious Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests. They probably told them it's not just a matter of religion. It's a matter of living in the reality of God and in relationship with the Son of God. You see, in in their experience, they had talked, I'm, I'm sure they talked about the reality that God had come in Jesus that God was at work through this one named Jesus, that Jesus himself was the king of a new realm, a new reality. They, they would have said, this kingdom, this reality, it is here, it is now, I've experienced it, and you too can know it by simply believing in Christ, following him. Part of, and I'm going to talk maybe a little bit about how we can do that now, but part of what needs to be recognized, and I want to challenge this congregation with this, is that not only do we show the reality of the kingdom in blessing, we do that, but we also need to tell about it. It takes me back to kindergarten. Show and tell, right? I never was in kindergarten, didn't do that in Scotland. I don't know why, I just went straight to the studying. But in kindergarten, kids do show and tell, right? So we show the reality of the kingdom in terms of how we live, but we have to talk about it too. You know, there's a pretty famous phrase that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I'm going to have it projected. It says this, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. How many of you have heard that before? And you know what? I think a lot of us love that statement partly because there's a real truth to it. If we're not living examples of the gospel, if we're not preaching it by our lifestyle, if we're not showing it, 
people are never going to listen to what we say. But there's, a, there's something not so positive about that in my mind because I think sometimes we gravitate to that because we want to stay, keep our faith hidden and certainly not needing to speak the reality. Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. I want to tell you, if people are going to come to know the gospel of Jesus and come to faith in him, they have to hear about him, spoken by somebody. So there's another phrase that I saw on social media lately, which is a parallel and a correction to this. Feed the poor and when necessary, use food. Go feed the poor, but don't use any food. That would be ridiculous. Just, you have to f use food to feed people who are hungry. And you have to use words if people are going to understand that Jesus is the Son of God and he has brought the kingdom of God and he has told us how to live in that kingdom and how to exercise his power in that kingdom. And he's also told us how to enter into that kingdom by faith in him. What he has done in his death and his resurrection on our behalf. See, my friends, we have to use words. We have to get to a place. It's not always up front and in the beginning, but we have to get to a place sooner or later where we say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, and here's what it means to live in relationship with him. So then, as I said a moment ago, I want to talk to you now about how we would actually do that. You know, I want to be a bit challenging here as if I haven't been already, right? Because this is a challenging thing. It's a challenge to move beyond sincere faith held by people who hide their faith from those who don't know it. And I'm not saying that of you, but I'm guessing at least somebody here is in that circumstance. But I want to I, I I bring this, uh, this, this reality to light, and I, I want to ask you this question to help illuminate it. The question is this, what is your experience of Jesus? Take a minute and just think about it. What is your experience of Jesus? And I ask that question because of this, the capacity to share the kingdom of God and its king. The capacity to share the kingdom of God and its king is directly proportional to our experience of the kingdom of God and its king. Let me put it this way, if, you, if your experience of Jesus is, is, is dramatic and wonderful and ongoing, if you're encountering the reality of Jesus' power in your life, if you're seeing him answer your prayers, if he's speaking to you through scripture in an ongoing way, if he's bringing healing to your soul, <laughs> if he's transforming your life, if you're encountering him all the time, you're going to have a ton of stories to tell. It's not going to be a hard thing to tell people about what it's like to be in the kingdom of God. But conversely, if you're not encountering Jesus in any kind of ongoing way, you're not going to have much to say. And these people had encountered Christ profoundly. And it was they who then were sent into the world to talk about this reality called the kingdom and to call people to faith in the king. So I say again, what is your experience of Jesus? You know, I know there are people who are experiencing Jesus all the time in this church. It's their life. They know him. They know him in his presence and they know him in his power. They know him in his revelation. They know him in his truth. They know him in answered prayer. They know him in his comfort. They know him in grace. So many in different ways. My friends, if you might be one of those folks who believe sincerely in Jesus but don't experience him, I want to challenge you. I want you to get into his presence, maybe even this afternoon at some point, and say, Lord Jesus, I want to know more of you. 
I want to see you work in my life in profound and wonderful ways. I want to see you bring healing to my soul and answer my prayers and all the things the pastor spoke about this morning. Because the more you encounter Jesus, the more stories you'll have to tell about him. So once that happens, how do we proceed into this process? Having built relationship, having uh, blessed people's lives, having come to a point of trust in that relationship where people might be ready to listen to a little bit more, how do we enter into and discuss our faith experience with others? I've said this to you before on several occasions, but sometimes when you're just moving into that reality with somebody who doesn't know Christ and maybe has no faith at all, we can ask the question, can I pray for you? Maybe they're struggling. Maybe they've lost a job. Maybe they're grieving. Maybe they're in need in whatever way we can just come along and say, can I pray for you? No, we might not be able to pray with them right away, but if they know we're praying for them and then God answers prayer, what happens? A seed of faith is, is birthed. And in time, maybe we can say, can I pray for you? And then start to do it with them and they too can see the reality of God at work in their lives. How about this one? We're with people, we're in relationship, we've been welcomed into their lives, there's trust that has developed. Can you start to tell people about your perspectives uh, in conversation um, about how different life is in the kingdom? Have you ever thought about that? You know, could you tell them about the good things that dominate life in the kingdom, like the grace of God and the grace we can show one another in his mercy, but the love that you have encountered of God and how we can love one another and actually do it, how we can talk about patience and how we can talk about hope, about all these things that are to characterize the reality of the kingdom of God, we can start to talk about how these are important values to us. And then we can tell them why. How about this one? Life in the kingdom is all about serving, right? We've talked so much about that. You move from a consumer to a servant when you become a sincere follower of Jesus. So we serve in the church and we serve in our community and people see this of us and they see us serving maybe more than they would even think of it and they might ask us why and then we would tell them because I follow Jesus and the way of the kingdom, don't use those words particularly, but I serve because Jesus served and I just want to share God's love with other people. How about a discussion of money comes up? <laughs> and you know, if you're in the kingdom of God, the whole perspective on money is dramatically different. And they're talking maybe about how they might spend your money, and you start to tell them about how you spend your money and why. Because the reality is this money is not mine. It's given to me by the Lord. I'm entrusted with it. Therefore, I tithe. Therefore, I give. Therefore, I share his love with. And that's so important to me. Maybe you get up in the morning and you spend time with the Lord Jesus in Scripture and God speaks profoundly into your life and you're taken by what God has spoken. Could it be that in a relationship you start to tell people about what the Lord has said and why it's so significant to you? You see, I could go on and on and on. Those people you know, who, who, who grieve and, and they're with a non-believing friend, can we be open enough about who we are and about our faith to say, you know, my heart is broken? but I am so thankful for my faith because I know where such and such a person is. All we're doing is describing the reality of the kingdom and what it's like to be in relationship with Jesus. How about those of you who are on Facebook? I'm not. Don't want to be. 
that a lot of people are, do the people on, who, who, I don't know, befriend you or follow you or whatever on various social media platforms, do they know you're a believer? Do, know, do they know that you live in the kingdom and that the values of the kingdom determine your life? Do they know that you know and love Jesus? can happen, right? See, here's my point to you this morning, my friends. We have got to learn how to simply be who we are. We have to learn how we, to be who we are in relationship with those who have welcomed us into their lives. No more hiding our faith. No more withholding this incredibly significant part of who we are as people. Rather, the, an openness and a willingness to simply share our faith in Jesus, to pray for people with whom we are sharing, and then to watch what the Lord Jesus does in the lives of those folks. You know, I thought I might finish this, this talk this morning by having you imagine with me there's a huge boulder sitting on the platform here. Like huge, maybe eight feet tall and round, right? Um, and um, I want to move it. Now, that's not necessarily going to be an easy thing for me to do because it's probably, it probably weighs tons. Of, it's heavy. If it was on a slope, it would probably roll on its own, but at the moment, it's stuck in inertia. I thought about that word this week because I think some of us are stuck in inertia. Can you relate to that? <laughs> we want to move in this, but we're stuck. Many of us have lived all our lives hiding and stuck. Um, let me read to you the definition of inertia. Oh yeah, I had that projected. Inertia, having no inherent power of action or motion, inactive by nature. How is the boulder going to get moved? Well, the only way I know is that I'm going to go up against the boulder, I'm going to put my shoulder on that boulder, and I'm going to start pushing really hard, as hard as I possibly can. And if I'm strong enough, and you've got to know your pastor is. Sooner or later, that, <laughs> that boulder is just going to start to move really slowly. And inch by inch by inch, I'm going to exert power against it, intentionally forcing this thing until it starts to roll. And the more it rolls, the easier it will be to get because it moves out of inertia, and it just by its own weight moves. Now, that boulder's never going to move unless I choose to move it. And I want to tell you, my friends, as I think about this dynamic, it's ha and we have this vision of a church where all of us are introducing people to Jesus. So it, begins, it begins our mission statement, right? We have somehow got to deal, most of us, with inertia. <laughs> it's going to take a very definite decision and a very definite action to move beyond where we are. Cool thing about this passage is that we're given lots of options. First thing is we can go from here this morning. By the way, I hope you think of it like this as I do because I think this is absolutely true. For two Sundays prior to last Sunday, I preached the word of God where it says that Jesus has commissioned us and sent us. Now, according to my understanding of preaching and of scripture, we, including myself, have all been commanded by God to do this. It's kind of shocking, right? <laughs> In spite of inertia, 
Jesus has spoken through his word and he's told us to do something. And a huge question we have to face is what are we going to do about it? Are you going to put your shoulder against the boulder? Are you going to choose to take action so that the boulder starts to roll? I want to tell you the more it rolls, the easier it gets. But the toughest part is to get that first inch out of the boulder. Here's another little application of this text because Jesus sent people two by two. If I'm not the only person pushing that boulder, it's going to move quicker and more easily. And I can envision half a dozen of you strong people from IPC getting up here with me, and we're going to move that thing. We're intended to do this together. Previous point from a previous sermon. We don't do it alone. But my friends, my point is, as I conclude, we have got to choose to do something different. So here's my challenging final two questions for you. You know, I ask lots of questions in my sermon. Hope it helps, my sermons. It's actually one question. I want to ask, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm your pastor. I'm concerned for you. I'm wondering, number one, if there are people here who have had to shake the dust off their feet because they have gone to offer blessing offer shalom in the lives of people and they've been rejected and their hearts are sort of hurting. They're struggling because of the, they've, they've come out of the closet but they've been rejected. Anybody here struggling and hurting? Uh, the other possibility, according to the text, is that um, having been challenged, having been commanded, having heard from God to go and to do, you've done it and you're here this morning absolutely rejoicing because... Having exercised the power and authority of Jesus, you are filled with joy because you saw the demons flee from the lives of other people simply because you prayed and you acted on their behalf. You see, my question is, my friends, has the boulder moved since three weeks ago? This is hard. I know this is hard. But somehow, sooner or later, the boulder has to start rolling. We have to move beyond an inertia which has sort of taken root in our lives for many of us for decades and has kept us from sharing the kingdom and its king and how people might get into that kingdom. Well, I just want to finish this morning by saying this to you. If you put your, your shoulder against that boulder with others and if you make a decision to push really hard against it. If you make a decision to take Jesus at his word in this text, which we conclude with this morning, if you choose to go out into this world as his commissioned follower, ready to bless people and to share about the reality of his kingdom, you know what's going to happen according to the authority of the word of God? There are going to be people who come into that kingdom because of what you have done. There are going to be people who are freed from the power of evil in their lives, freed from it because of what you have done. There are going to be people who come to understand the incredible blessings of living in the kingdom, in relationship with Jesus, sin forgiven, eternity in heaven before them, blessed with the reality of God in their lives because of what you have done. You know, my simple question to you as we conclude today, and it's, it, it's not in judgment, and I don't want to appear to be one of those pastors who's always haranguing their people and telling them what to do. I try not to do that. I talk about love and I talk about grace and I talk about Jesus. But today I want to ask you, will you do something different? Will you move beyond inertia? 
this week. <clears throat> will you either go and bless someone, offering them shalom? Will you begin to pray for them that the power of God might be exerted in their lives for their blessing? And will you begin to reveal to them what's so incredibly important to you, that which is so much a part of who you are? My friends, can you imagine a church full of people who stop hiding their faith in Jesus and start telling the whole world that one has come, that God has come, and that he's here to save and to bless and to enrich and to love and to show grace to, not only through this life, but through eternity. That's the message we get to carry. So I say to you, today, this week, go push the boulder. Step out of inertia. Show people and tell them that the kingdom has come in Jesus until the day they come to believe in him too. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we just really need you in our lives to uh, help us do something different. And Lord, we know that sometimes we hide our faith in you because of fear. We don't want to be associated with a lot of hypocritical, sinful Christians. <laughs> Lord, we don't want the rejection that sometimes comes with identifying ourselves with you. But Lord, at the same time, we truly do want to be people and a church which is used to let others know that the kingdom has come and that they too can participate in it. So Lord, today I want to pray for all those here, and it's probably most of us, who are stuck in inertia. Lord, help us to choose something different this week. Help us to go and offer shalom and see where receptivity and welcome comes. Help us to enter into relationship with people when that opportunity is given to us and to stay there. Help us to be prayerful so that your power is exercised in the lives of these folks. And Lord, give us the grace and the wisdom and the courage to then tell people that we know you and that we love you and that we are yours. God, work that miracle in our lives, we pray. Work that miracle in our church until this church. God, it is characterized, it is known for the fact that the people of IPC are people who are willing to share Christ with this world. Until the day we are seeing dozens and even hundreds of people coming to know you through us. God, enable us, bless us, guide us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask.